0: Today, though, we're going to continue in Galatians chapter 4. The passage is 4, 8 through 20. Um, And what we saw in Galatians in 3, from 3, 1 to 4, 7, Paul engaged the Galatians in a theological argument. And now we're going to move into a different part where Paul is appealing to the Galatians. But first we're going to see a big word used to start off this in verse 8 it says formally so Paul had just finished his argument telling the Galatians all about the incredible gift they were given and that gift had no strings attached that they and all believers are chosen by God before time began, and they were and we are justified by faith and he points this out that you're justified by faith alone but his nemesis the Judaizers who were preaching this false message stating that new believers still needed to follow the Jewish laws and traditions and have outward signs like circumcision in order to be justified in their religion. So Paul is asking them why when you now know God, you're giving up that life to go back to a new type of slavery. You left pagan worship for now a new type of pagan worship. Last week in his argument in in chapter 4, Chapter 4, Paul is sharing the deepness of this gospel message. And he talks about our new life as believers. And he does this by using a word adoption to describe how we become the sons of God. Before we jump into the passage today, I just want to touch on that because our version in 21st century America, our term adoption means completely different. It's like a different language compared to what Roman adoption was. Um, and, and Paul, being a Roman citizen, you know, he was very familiar with what that meant. So I want to make sure that we have an idea. So today, adoption, we all know. I mean, I have a brother that's adopted. You know, Chris is adopted, Jet's being adopted. We all familiar with that. It's placing a baby or a child that's in need into a loving family. And this can happen at any age, but it stops at 18. You don't hear of anyone being adopted nowadays that's over 18. Adoption in this time period that we're out now was was different. You, it was for the purpose of supplying the family with an heir, an heir to replace the father who led. The father led in the political power. He led in the finance, and he led in the religion of their home gods. And if there was not anyone suitable among the sons, they went out and found someone. And so the adopted son was not a slave, if it was a slave they desired they had to be freed first it was a free man roman citizen already grown in his 20s sometimes in his 30s that had a proven demonstration of his abilities to lead so a family of modest means that that had a son desired by an elite family would make a deal and that son would leave his family take on a new name and would one day lead that family. This man again took on a new name, took on a new life, and if he had any debts in his former life, they were completely wiped out. It's like his former self never existed. And this adopted son had more rights in that family than the natural sons. In Roman law, a Roman father could, could disown a, a, a born child, or even had one put to death. But the adopted son, he cannot do that with. And and the adoption was such a serious situation because these were the elite families. These were not anything other than the elite families of the day that had all the political power. So to have a son adopted required the Senate, a long process for them to do it. And then the ceremony was like you'd see a wedding ceremony, was long and drawn out. And so instead of resembling our modern day adoption, Roman adoption, if you think about it, it closely resembles what you see in like a major sports franchise. I mean, the elite Roman family is like a sports team in the way that the father is the owner. And if he's got no one that can run it, He will go out and find find an heir to run that team. Go buy that high-priced free agent to come in and run your team. And again, this was not just any family could could just have a son that was sharp, raise up and take him to elite status. This was a very tight-knit group of elite families that jockeyed for position. They might smile to the other family's face. But the whole time they were plotting how they could get more power. You got to realize there were think upwards of nine Caesars that became Caesars because they were adopted into elite families and then adopted into or adopted by the family that was going to be Caesar. And if you made a wrong mistake, if you made an error in judgment, um, you would be eliminated out of that group. So you really had to make a good choice. It was do or die. So that's the term adoption. And Paul uses this term to describe how we are adopted. God sought us, brought us into his family to enjoy all the benefits as his family. And once adopted by God, all of our sins are forgiven. They're wiped out. We never lose his benefits, and all this is forever. So I didn't want to go forth into this section of Paul appealing to the Galatians until I covered what he is trying to remind them that they receive from God. So formerly, we were slaves, had no chance of being adopted and being into that ultimate, the most elite family. And we had surely had no way of saving ourselves. But God sent Jesus to come in and purchase our salvation and make us free and then adopted us into his family to always have his benefits forever. So Paul is going to move from that argument style that he brought in from 3 1 to 4 7. And now he's going into an appeal to the Galatians. And we will go over this appeal the next two weeks. So this week we're going to cover part one of his appeal. And we're going to look at it in two sections. 8 through 11. 8 through 11 we're going to talk about the Galatians slavery. And then 12 through 20. 12 through 20 we're going to talk about Paul and the Galatians. Paul. Paul. And the Galatians. So let's go over the passage. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months, seasons and years. I'm afraid that, you, that I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And through my condition was a trial to you. You did not scorn or despise me. But receive me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom am I again in the, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for now I am perplexed by you. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just want to lift you up today and thank you so much for your gift that we saw coming in, how you made the ultimate purchase for us. Your life in exchange for ours. May we never take that for granted. May we never stop loving and 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 listening to you. We know how especially now in this world we can get lost in technology we can we can find ways to to do something other than than spend time in your word and and learn more and grow about you and share with others but father be with us now as as we come to learn more about you and and especially this this time in the galatian's church what they were they're being faced with, and, and we just want to really quiet our hearts and open our minds and catch this. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So after spending time with the Galatian church, and Paul overcame a lot of persecution that took place at this time, he's expressing his dismay and shock over how easy it was For these false teachers to come in and quickly move the Galatians from the truth. They had abandoned the freedom they had in Christ to move back into a pagan religion of slavery. Said, Formally, when you did not know God, you're enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. Paul is starting that appeal by bringing up the point that. They were a people who once did not know God. They were enslaved by those that were not gods. Not gods meaning there are idols that the Galatians once worshipped and, and actually listened to. And we saw this in Isaiah, right? You get a piece of wood, you use some for fire, some for, for any kind of tool or whatnot, and then some... you you fashion an idol out of and worship. So these pagans have been doing that. Verse 9 says, But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Paul is contrasting this old person Versus the new person, like he has in other letters to churches. We see it in Romans 6, 20 and 22. Romans 6, 20 and 22. It says, or when you were slaves of sin, you were freed in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are not ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And again in seven five six, Romans 7, 5 through 6, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code and then ephesians 12:2 through 13 i'm sorry ephesians 2:12 through 13 remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near the blood of Christ. Paul offers many more examples in the Bible, and the contrast of these two is stark. It is stark. So the Galatians had moved from not knowing God to knowing God, but more Intense is the teaching that Paul gives us here. They are now Known by God They didn't know God they know God But what he's trying to bring home here is they are known by God The reason that picture is so intense is the picture given the word given to us here is No, and it means a sense of a very intimate relationship we see it in Jeremiah 1 5 Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. And I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Paul is trying to drive home the closeness and the amazing relationship we have with God. Why give it up to fall under the old way of slavery? Paul wants them. And he wants us to understand the relationship between God and his people. And we see it in 1 John 4.10. 1 John 4.10. It says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for this sacrifice for our sins. We do indeed come to know God but we but only because he has chosen first to know us in Christ, so that's why Paul is telling the Galatians, it is foolishness to run from this rich grace to the former life you had in slavery and this is what they're doing, right? but they don't see it this way. they have drinking the law kool aid and now they have forgotten grace and they believe that they need to add to this grace with works and with false observances they're actually adding to their faith but Paul is pointing out to him but adding to this is actually subtraction and and they're questioning God's power to save it's like we see even today in a lot of false churches they call themselves Christian they feel They have to help God save them. God will only take them so far. They have to do the rest. And what I mean by this is they feel God only goes so far in his role and he's up in heaven wringing his hands wondering if we will choose them. I'll never forget going to a concert. And they did that. They had had some organization that that you, know, you could adopt people in a third world country. And they said, we decided to change how we do it. Now we're going to put pictures of you on the wall and you can sit back and watch and see kids choose you much like God watches how people come to faith. I, I was horrified. I was horrified. And, and that was going on in a packed room and people were buying into it. You are not your own Messiah. Verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years. It may be here that Paul is so disgusted by what the Galatians are doing that he is purposely vague about what days, months, seasons, and years they're observing. Paul may also be mocking the Judaizers with these terms. Now, I don't have much experience with Jewish writings outside the Bible, but I was, by trying to research what this phrase meant, I was directed to a book called the Book of Jubilees, and in 2.9, the similarity to what Paul wrote here is, is something that probably proves Paul's chops as a Pharisee. It said, and God appointed the sun to be a great sign on the earth for days and for Sabbaths and for months, and for feasts, and for years, and for Sabbaths of years, and for jubilees, and for all the seasons of the years. And Paul's writing here is is in contrast to what he wrote concerning not being tempted by the Judaizers. In Colossians 2.16, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in the question of food, and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. And maybe Paul was keeping it vague, um, so they might get an idea as, as what he said, and the observances the Galatians could see that they did similar things in their past pagan worship that mirrored now what the Judaizers wanted them to do. And then Paul wraps up this warning on a note of personal concern that will anticipate the tone of the next paragraph we're going to cover. Paul says in verse 11, I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. This will not be the first time he has this worry over people he has poured his life into. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 14. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And Paul may be intending. To remind them of this statement earlier, he wrote in 3 4 about the Galatian church. You know, they suffered so much, then to go back to a pagan worship, Jewish religion, post Jesus, is now that pagan religion. And it means they have suffered all that to get the message from Paul and live in this way. To go back means they suffered all that in vain. Verses 12 through 20, Paul and the Galatians. Now, Paul is going to get much more personal with the Galatians in this section. And we're going to see some similarities between uh, verse 9's, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? And then in verse 15 and 16, what has become of your blessedness? And then 16, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? It's Paul's fear that he ministered in vain to the Galatians, how he wrapped up 11. And this draws him back to when he first brought the gospel to the churches in Galatia. And the tone he uses here is different. Paul is seeking to move the churches by his appealing to their emotion, their shared personal experiences. I mean, he gave them such great theological arguments that we went over the past several weeks to reason with their mind. Now, now he will try to move them to the correct response by appealing to their hearts. The style he's using here is not to build more on the logic that he's developed, but this is a direct appeal to the Galatians. We're going to see that in verse 12 when he calls them brothers and sisters, and in verse 19 when he refers to them as my children. So let's jump in. Verse 12, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I have also become as you are. You did me no wrong. This verse begins immediately with an imperative verb asking them to become like me. This is the first imperative in the letter to the Galatians that calls on them to take action. In other letters, when Paul asks the church to imitate him, there's usually an idea, you get an idea of what he's asking. Like in 1 Corinthians 11.1, it says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Philippians 3.17 Philippians 3.17 Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. But here he's asking them to be like him because he has become like them. His becoming like them meant he came to them abandoning the law as a way to righteousness and lived as they did. And what we see is he probably, this is probably referred to this in 1 Corinthians. We see it in 9.21. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law you see Paul has exchanged his life as a Pharisee under the law for a life under the dominion of Christ his existence his existence was no longer determined by the Jewish law so we get an idea then of how foolish it is for the Galatians to be contemplating or maybe already stopped living under grace to put on the heavy weight of the law and the requirements to fulfill it. So the beginning of the appeal by Paul is the key point of this section and Paul is basing it on his own experience and he says in verse 12, you did me no wrong. And this obviously is in reference to his first missionary journey there. He's probably taking them from the current situation where the Judaizers are criticizing him. He's not there. They're criticizing him to when he first arrived there and the Galatians did not treat him or the message he brought poorly. They did not criticize him. They did him no harm. But now he feels harmed. 13 and 14, these verses form one sentence and it says you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first and though my condition was a trial to you you did not scorn or despise me but received me as an angel of God as Christ Jesus so here Paul is building on the did me no harm from 12 And reminding them of the good relationship they enjoyed when Paul was there with them living in their midst. He reminds them of why he was there. Maybe a bodily ailment had prevented him from from going further and he stayed longer and taught them the good news for a while. And then he shared how they did not respond to him in that bodily ailment with scorn and they did not despise him nor the message of Christ. The ailment he might have had. We might be maybe see a hint of that in verse 15. He shares that their love was so great for them that they would have gouged out their own eyes and maybe given it to them. One of the things that might have been is it could be malaria, which can affect the eyes and cause a short-term blindness. Maybe he had a really bad oozing eye infection, and it was so bad. To look at him, would have, you would have easily desired to take out your own eyes so you wouldn't have to see it and give it to him. Whatever the case is, we see in verse 14, it's reasonable to suspect that Paul's condition and the word trial used here are linked. Whatever the condition Paul really had, the Galatians did not reject him as a result of it, but far from rejecting him, they welcomed him as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. The word used here, as an angel of God, can mean welcoming like that, that they welcomed a Christian envoy that came on. And then, as Christ Jesus, um, he could also be referring when he first visited lystra and the people there mistook him for hermes the god and we see that in acts 14 12 acts 14 12 and paul takes this further by stating they received him as christ jesus so this could mean that they received him as an exalted messenger of god indeed as if he was Christ Jesus himself and that's probably because he did bring Christ Jesus to them 15 says what then has become of your blessedness for i testify to you that if possible you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me now paul is shifting the focus from the initial reception that he enjoyed to the present situation. And he starts off by doing that in 15 by saying, What has become of your blessedness? Another way to state this, to help us English readers out, is is Paul's asking them, What has become of the blessings that you've pronounced on me? Right now they have to be like a 180 if they're giving in to the Judaizers. Paul points out that the love and the blessings that they had for him were so great and they wanted to care for him so badly that they would have helped him out any way they could even if they could replace their their eyes for his and give him theirs. Paul's again is making an appeal to the Galatians by stressing the personal regard, the affection and even The love they demonstrated on the first visit. So, after reminding the Galatians of the love they had for him, Paul reverts back to the present situation. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Verse 16. Paul is summing up the current state of the relationship. Paul told them and gave them the truth of the gospel. And now it's being perverted by his enemies. So this free gift of salvation that Paul shared is what he is continuing to to fight for. Nothing more, nothing less. It's the free gift of salvation and how you handle that. He is willing to lose his relationship with these people that he dearly loves and become their enemy rather than dilute or pervert the gospel message. And there is no doubt Paul is being treated as an enemy here by the Judaizers as they seek to take the Galatian church and move it into a pagan religion, going over the law and then providing them with a new defective gospel of living as a Jew. 17 says they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you make much of them. Now, Paul is probably so taken up by what's going on, caught up in the in his appeal to Galatians. He didn't bother to identify who he is talking about here in the third person. But we can rightly assume it's the Judaizers. And he will now share what their attentions are for once they take over this church. They make much of you, or we can say that these Judaizers are deeply interested in the Galatians. They're zealous to win them over to their false message. Paul is saying their victory is your loss. Following them is not for your own good, it's for their warped pride. We know Paul's intentions are for their Eternal salvation for to really build on that adoption they've got and a life free of man's gospel, but living in that time with developing that deep, deep, rich relationship with Christ. He tells the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 11 2 and 3. 2 Corinthians 11 2 and 3 for i feel a divine jealousy for you since i betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to christ but i'm afraid that as a serpent deceived eve by his cunning your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to christ so this has happened multiple places Paul is getting across that the Judaizers are seeking to blind these new believers into religion that they themselves could never keep. No one can. The end goal would be the Galatians would now have to go to these people to seek forgiveness from them, pay a penance, and worship these leaders, no longer worshiping Christ. In verse 18, it appears Paul is quoting a proverb. I read that this could be an a old Jewish proverb, so of course, with today's technology, I googled it. And in the Jewish work that I, I think, Paul probably found and, and gave them a proverb from his past growing up. And there seemed to be a lot of should always proverbs that that Jews have out there. And I found something very close but not exact. And and so what he's saying, it is always good, this is verse 18, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. Paul is stating this to the Galatians. He is stating it is always good to be courted with honorable intentions. So it's always good to be courted with honorable intentions as you were when he, Paul, was with them. He's trying to communicate that now, after he has gone, they've allowed themselves to be courted here with what is dishonorable intentions. There's nothing good that these people are bringing to them. And then in verse 19, Paul will shift into a deeper appeal for their souls. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed into you. Pretty powerful. Paul is describing them, comparing them to his children. Now, we know Paul refers to himself as as spiritual father multiple times. But in this case, he's referring himself to their mother. A mother who is now again struggling with labor, bringing them into conformity with Christ. He wants this relationship restored and the enjoyment he once felt returned in contrast the Judaizers desire to enslave the church Paul here is expressing a deep love a mother's love and desiring the welfare of the church he is calling them my dear children we learned and he he went over this and when we went through first Thessalonians We saw this also in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8. 2, 7 and 8. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves because you had become very dear to us. Paul says this word again in verse 19. He is telling them that he treats the initial evangelism in the same way. Loving, endearing, and full of a mother's heart for her children. Paul also gives us the imagery of Christ being formed in them. And he points to the fact that Paul will not be content in Christ until Christ is so dominates their lives that there can be no possible way somebody with a false gospel can come back in and turn their hearts and minds away from him verse 20 he says i wish i could be present with you now and change my tone for i am perplexed about you In verse 18, Paul encouraged the Galatians to understand who is instructing them even when he is not with them. Now in verse 20, he says, I wish I could be present there again. Probably more importantly, he wishes that he could change the tone of his voice. Maybe he meant take it away from that of a scolding father and he wishes he could be there with them as a loving mother and enjoying that relationship they once had. But alas, the circumstance he finds them in forces him to be that that stern father and try to wake them up from the false messages they were hearing. Until then, Paul is telling them and therefore us, he remains puzzled by their failure to understand and appreciates the benefits of the gospel that was preached to them so we see paul i mean so we see the galatians had experienced the blessings of abraham brought to them as gentiles and paul pointed this out to them in three fourteen. and they have been witness they've been a witness to the power, the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. And that was in Galatians three, two through five. And I love the line there. It says, having begun by the Spirit of God, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Having begun by the Spirit of God, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That is so powerful. Because how can you go from the Holy Spirit in your life to putting that aside and saying, man will perfect me by following these laws. And so basically Paul is asking with that stern father voice, how can they turn their backs on all these facts? And as he ended the first section for eleven, with wondering about them, He ends verse 20 being perplexed and no doubt demonstrating a deep concern about them. Unfortunately, I can tell you this happens today. People turning aside from the benefits of Christianity to even calling themselves a Christian but buying into a false message. Um, We saw that on our recent trip. And then by talking to these people, you find out how ingrained it really is. Even people I love dearly, to convince them now after they've been so ingrained in that, it's tough. It's tough. Even if you share Bible verses, even if you demonstrate basic principles in the Bible, it's tough. Um, So I know it won't be my efforts, but I can tell you what, I pray for these people. And, and when we talk, I share a little bit more. And I just can trust that God will one day be glorified in their lives. One fine day, glorif- God will be glorified throughout the whole earth. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just want to thank you so much for your word here. And, and may we never just forget the miracle of Paul. Paul as we see him in the first time in the Bible he is a man persecuting your church much like the Judaizers are doing in Galatia but Paul is not seeking to win them over Paul is seeking to harm the church and then you all you called him and brought him to a loving faithful relationship and then in a twist of irony, we never will forget you took this man that was a Pharisee among Pharisees and you put him out to seek and bring the Gentiles into, into this promise given to Abraham for their lives. We, we thank you so much and, and may we never forget just just how awesome you are. When we think about Paul's life and what it should have been and how you turned it, and you knew all along it would be that way, may we never, ever forget your power and your love. You took this man that was intended to be worshipped as an elite Pharisee and made him into a man that, that got together and just became as those around him and brought your message. Amen.